appreciate you all having me here. Anytime that I get an opportunity to stand in front of God's people and bring his word, it's never something that I take lightly. And I've been praying and praying for weeks, probably a month now, since Nigel asked me to come specifically for today and for the word that God has specifically for you. And I believe that he's given me something directly for each one of us for this very day. And I'm excited to be here. So let me open up in prayer and we'll get started. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together. We invite your spirit here, not as a spectator, but to guide our steps and our thoughts. May you give me the words to speak. Would you open the ears to hear and the hearts to receive and apply? Father God, would your spirit give each one of us the strength and the courage then to walk it out in our daily lives? We thank you for this day and what you're about to do for us and through us. And may all that we do bring you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Again, my name is Wade Nelson. And although I sit in the seat of a pastor very often, uh, I've been a children's and youth pastor for uh, pretty much all of my adult life for the last 25 plus years. Um, I am not overly pastoral. So for those of you that are normal, Sunday is, is, is uh, a pastoral message. Uh, that's not who I am or who God's created to me, uh, me to be. Uh, the reality is, um, by giftings and callings, um, I'm an evangelist. And I get to walk that out uh, through my role right here in Minot, North Dakota, as the executive director of Minot Youth for Christ. And I'm excited to, to let you guys know that God is not just alive and well, but he's moving right here in our city. The, the, the things that we see him do are unbelievable, yet I believe we're just scratching the surface. We, we see tons of young people, tons of young people, Interested, just hungry for God's word. But they want the real thing. They don't want to play church. They don't want a bunch of rules and regulations. They want to have a relationship with an authentic God. And so because of that, the last two years, Minot Youth for Christ has grown our ministry efforts tenfold. And with that, in the last 21 months, we've seen over 265 salvations. 265 salvations in 21 months right here in Minot, North Dakota. But here's the crazy part. We're literally locking arms with local churches. We're getting young people and families plugged in, and people are being discipled. God is moving. Now, I know when I tell people that, a lot of times they're like, well, of course you've seen those kind of salvations. You're an evangelist. But I come here today to point out the fact that when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he encouraged Timothy as a good soldier of Christ, which we all are. There's a war going on, and we're soldiers for Christ. And Paul's telling Timothy, as a good soldier for Christ, you need to guard the truth. He goes on in 2 Timothy 4, 5 to not just encourage, but to remind him, Timothy, you are called to do the work of an evangelist. Some translations say, for all are called 
to the work of evangelism. And like most churches in town, when I bring that up, I, I, I see people tense up. I can read body language. You think that you're not an evangelist, so you're not called to evangelism. But I promise you, every one of us are called. Really, it's a mandate that we spread the good news. And I wonder, how many of us take that serious? And if we are not doing it, why is that? Sometimes people say to me, well, wait, you know, if they'll use Ephesians as a, as a, to point out saying, no, I'm not called to that. So let, let's read together um, Ephesians 4, and I'll start in verse 11. I use a New King James Version, um, but anyway, Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So people will point to that scripture and say, see, each person has a different gift. I'm not called to evangelism. No, you might not call to sit in the seat of an evangelist. Let's carry on. Verse 12, it lists those people, and it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you guys. You're the saints. My job is an evangelist. Nigel's job is a pastor. Our job is to equip each and every one of you for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is evangelism. And it continues, the second half of that scripture. It says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So as an evangelist, I'm called to equip you guys and to edify each and every one of you. And, you know, I used to think that, that edify just simply meant to encourage and to build up. But if you look at some of the, the definitions of edifying, edifying, my favorite definition of edifying, literally means to morally and intellectually instruct. Now let's think about that verse again. So we got pastors and teachers, right? Evangelists, prophets. There's five-fold ministry right there. But our job is to edify you, to morally and intellectually instruct, and then equip you for the ministry. See, I'm not called just to go out into all the world and preach the gospel by myself, although I do that every day. But you know what? I don't do that as an evangelist. I do that as a Christian. I'm not here to scare anybody. I see everyone sitting in the back. Nigel must have told you I was coming. <laughs> the reality is, my job is to fan the flames of your heart and allow you to burn brighter than you ever have before. Burn for Jesus. So the fact that when you're out and about, you're burning so bright for Christ that just brushing against somebody, they're going to catch a spark. And it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. So if you don't want to take Paul's writings to Timothy or in Ephesians, let, let, let's, let's just go to the big guy himself. What did Jesus have to say on this subject? Mark 16. 
This is the last thing that Jesus spoke to his followers before sending him to heaven. So I assume if it's the last thing, he probably thought it was pretty important. Mark 16, I'll read verses 15 and 16. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who doesn't will be condemned. What are we going to do with that? He who believes will be saved, and he who doesn't will be condemned. There's a lost and dying world right outside these walls. And unless we tell them, they don't get an opportunity to make that choice. Brothers and sisters, grasp the fact that when Jesus told his followers He was talking to us just like he was talking to them. It's a mandate for each one of us to go into all the world, preach the gospel. One of the other gospels says, and make disciples. It's not just enough. And we do this in America so often. We'll have an altar call and someone will raise their hand and and say a prayer. And then we slap them on the butt like good game and, and, and say, okay, go live happily ever after. That's not what it is. We grab their hand, we walk them down the path. The Holy Spirit draws them in. Our job is to water, to sow seeds in water, sow seeds in water. The Holy Spirit draws them in. But when he does, we grab them by the hand and we lead them down this, because we introduce them to Jesus so they can have an encounter, so they can make a decision. And when they do, they're saved. But you know, our job doesn't stop there. We have to disciple. And that's the messy part. Even if each one of you went out today and led someone to the Lord, if they came to church next Sunday, they bring all their mess with them. Are you prepared? The world is a messy place. And when they get, you know yourself, when somebody gets saved, there's not a magic wand and all of a sudden it's a fairy tale and they live happily ever after. It's just not what happens. They bring all the pains and the hurts that this world has dumped on them when they come in here. I do a lot of prison ministry, and I'll be honest with you. We see a move of God right here in the jails in Minot, North Dakota. We've seen, the last time I was there, we probably saw 50 salvations. It's unbelievable. But the amount of those people that get plugged in when they leave jail isn't great. And I'll tell you why. They don't feel welcome. They don't feel welcome. And sometimes it's just a feeling that we do love on them, but we don't even know how to deal with someone with that kind of mess. Are you reading your Bible every day? Because that's that's the roadmap. These words in this book have life, not just for us, but for those that cross our paths. It's vitally important that we understand how to share the word of God with people. And not just by speaking it, preferably by showing it. You know, I always tell people that that everything Jesus did, he was moved by compassion. All his compassion is, is the outflow of our love. So if we've got Jesus in us and his spirit's dwelling inside us, like the scriptures say it does if we've asked Jesus into our heart, if we've accepted the free gift of salvation, his spirit dwells inside us. We are temples of God. And if we are containing that kind of love, 
we should be unbelievably compassionate. I don't know if any of you know Reinhard Bonnke. He just passed, but he was one of the great evangelists of all time. And a lot of people in America don't know him because he was in Africa. God whispered in. Now, here's a guy from Germany that, that goes to South Africa, doesn't speak any of those languages, but God whispers in his ear and says, Africa will be saved. And in the last 50 years, his ministry has led over or close to 80 million people to the Lord. Documented. Response cards. So, I mean, I wonder how many people responded and just didn't take the time to fill out a card. Because they had crusades where 1.3 or 1.6 million people, a few people might not have gotten cards to write on. And then, this, I mean, when he, when he showed up into heaven, there was probably millions of people waiting to greet him because of the work that he did. But Reinhard Bonnke says, look, if you really want to know, if you really want to know where your walk is with Jesus, when you get up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth or you're shaving or doing whatever it is, when you're looking at that person in the mirror, ask that person that you're staring at, where is your compassion level for the lost? Because if you have the love of Christ radiating out of you, it should be in a form of compassion. And there's a lost and dying world. Our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers, the, the checker at the grocery store. Look, I'm not here to, to condemn anyone. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I certainly don't want to give you the Christian finger. But I want you to, I want to hold up a mirror and have you look at the person staring back and, and you decide for yourself what's looking back. Are you truly a follower of Christ? You know, I love the banners. Christ is our healer, sanctifier. You know, Christ is our savior. How great is that? Christ is our savior. But you know, I was telling the kids, because Youth for Christ doesn't keep me busy enough, I do a young adults group on Saturday nights. And, and uh, we get a lot of college and uh, airmen that come through. And it, it's an awesome time. Last night I was instructing them on the fact that Jesus is only called Savior a couple dozen times. But he's called Lord over 700 times. 700 times, I think, just in the New Testament alone. And that's the problem with American Christianity a lot of times. Oh, man, everybody loves a Savior. It's fire insurance. Say a prayer, get out of hell. But have you asked him to be Lord? Because it's a whole different thing. Because if he's Lord, he's in charge. Are you living your life according to the will of what he has for each one of us? And only, know, only each one of you know what he's talking to you about. Because you're called to do something different than I'm called to. You can't do what I do. And God knows I can't do your job. We're all parts of one body. We all have a role. But you know, even in your own physical body, even if you get a crack on one of your knuckles, it prevents you from functioning how you're supposed to. So what happens if, if somebody is, is the little toe in here? And I know, God knows nobody wants to be the little toe. Little toes are unimportant. Tell that to the diabetic that's had toes amputated. The toes bring the stabling effect. 
What if you are the little toe to this body and you being here is the stabilizing effect? But if you're not here, the rest of the body's fighting to be stable and they can't do their job. It's important to know your role. But it's also important to know that we're all called to the work of the ministry. I know I'm taking you out of your comfort zone. I can read body language. Some of you guys are a little tense right now. It's okay. Jesus is still Lord. (laughs) You realize that there's a lost and dying world right outside these doors, and we have the answer. It's better than a lottery ticket. Why aren't we sharing it? If you look around, there's a few seats. I, I think that, that we could probably squeeze a few more people in here. And you know the funny thing is? Our, uh, I read articles in like Charisma Magazine and some of the others, and statistics say that somewhere between 80 and 87% of the people we cross paths with would actually come to church if we invited them. So let's say the numbers are less. Let's say it's 50% of the people. That means if each one of you invited two people, chances are at least one of them would come. We could double the size of this church in one week. You know, sometimes we cloud it up and make it more difficult than it is. You understand that probably none of us are called to be great theologians. And the reality is, theologians are horrible evangelists. They're either talking over us or down their nose at us. Not about you. I don't like either one. The gospel is unbelievably simple. And if all you know at this point is Jesus loves you, share that. You think it's something silly? Every person that my wife crossed paths with, if it's someone on the phone, it could be a wrong number. She, it could be a telemarketer or it's a checker at the store, the, the server at the restaurant. Every single person, my wife says, oh, by the way, do you know that Jesus is crazy in love with you? People light up. Some people know it, and they're like, yes, he does, and it was a reminder. And you could see the joy bubble out of them that someone took the time just to say that. Hey, look, young lady from Ramstead, do you grasp the fact that Jesus thinks you are unbelievably special? Do you know that? How crazy is that? The God of the universe takes time to think about you, and it's all good thoughts. Father God looks at you and considers you his greatest treasure. You ever think about that? feels good when you think about it, huh? It's almost embarrassing to have someone tell you. That's how special creation is. Do we tell people? Do we show people? So I'm a numbers guy, so I'm going to share a statistic with you. Do you know that every year in this world, over 30 million people die without knowing Jesus? That's it. That's a bigger number than my brain can swallow. Over 30 million every year. Well, let me explain to you so you can understand that. That breaks down to one person every second of every minute 
of every day. 1,001. 1,001. I've been standing up here for 20 minutes. What's 20 times 60? That many people potentially died without knowing Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I know it's a flawed plan. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked us either. I know what I used to be like. I wouldn't have been my first choice. And if I got to know you guys, sorry to say, I probably wouldn't pick you either. It's a weird plan to me. But the plan is, we're the hands and feet. He's called us, he's really commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel with words, thoughts, and deeds. How are we doing on that? How are you individually doing on that? 30 million people every year. And we got the cure. You know, there's this crazy virus going around. Everybody's panicking, all this and that. We're fighting to get a cure. Look, we got the cure. Christ is our healer. We got the cure for whatever ails you. I realize that this probably takes the average Christian out of their comfort zone. It's like, hey, Wade, yeah, great, you're an evangelist. You're all fired up about this old Jesus guy. I'm a little more private in my walk. But, you know, Jesus had that part figured out too. Have you ever read Acts 1.8? You know, he had promised us that when he left, it was good for us to leave, for good for him to leave, because he was going to send another, a helper, a comforter, right? He was going to send the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, we are promised that we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And then we will be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you understand that when you ask Jesus into your heart, when you truly made a commitment to accept the free gift of salvation and choose, have made that decision to follow him and allow him to be the Lord of your life, that his spirit dwells inside you so you have the same power dwelling inside you that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, yeah, but that's Jesus. Well, how about Peter? Anybody like Peter? I love Peter. Peter was a a cantankerous fisherman. He was a man's man. I, I just picture his hands being huge and gnarly from pulling in those ropes. He was probably from Wales. He was a fisherman from Wales. <laughs> Peter wasn't afraid of anything, right? I mean, he was like man's man. There was nothing polished about Peter. And then, think about this. Peter had an opportunity to spend three entire years up close and personal with Jesus himself. He saw every miracle He heard all the teachings. He was encouraged. He was warned. He got it all. Yet when the time came, he was so fearful that he denied Jesus three times. Think about this. 
the great Peter, that burly fisherman, incredible guy, was so afraid, was so afraid that he wouldn't even admit to a 12-year-old little girl that he knew Jesus. But then Jesus dies and sends the Holy Spirit. And that same Peter, that same Peter that was so terrified of the world that he wouldn't admit to a, admit to a little girl that he knew anything about Jesus, he wouldn't even admit to even have meeting him. That same Peter with one encounter with the Holy Spirit, bold as you please, barges out to a magnificent crowd, preaches his first sermon, and literally thousands of people get saved. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. It's promised in Scripture. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Hey, look, I'm not saying we don't have the Holy Spirit in here because we do, but we don't need him in here. It's safe in here. We need him for out there. And it tells us that the reason we get empowered by the Holy Spirit is that we'll be witnesses for him. Do you understand that you're called to be a witness for him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria? He was just saying, start where you're at and work out. So for you, young lady on Ramstead, the Holy Spirit is empowering you to be a light on your campus. You need to shine bright at Ramstead for Jesus. And the rest of us, for my not. And then Bismarck, the state of North Dakota. And you know what? To the ends of the earth. I'm not saying, hey, look, God's expecting you to, to go off to Africa. If he is, do that. You'll be happier. <laughs> but look, until you hear something different, start where you're at. And then just gradually work your way out. Lock arms with us at Youth for Christ. We don't just need money. We do. But you know what? We need volunteers. We need people praying for us. The more salvations and the more fruit we see in our ministry, the bigger bullseye we have and the enemy's coming to attack. We need your prayers. We need to lock arms. There's strength in unity. Unity in him. I love Peter. Goes from being fearful of a little girl to just unleashing on this huge crowd. And later, in Acts 4, John's with them, and they're out just whacking the world with Jesus. And they get arrested. And they get mistreated. And then they're told, demanded that they are to cease and assist. No more of this Jesus talk. They're not just threatened and warned. Enough is enough. We're going to let you out, but no more of this. But do you know what they did? The second they were out, they started sharing the gospel. And the Sanhedrin, Acts 4 tells us, the Sanhedrin, and if you don't know who they are, they were the, super, the, the religious superheroes of the day. They were like the religious Supreme Court. 
very legalistic. The Sanhedrin was astonished by their boldness because they perceived that they were ordinary men with no special training, but they'd spent time with Jesus. Sir, you in the back. You ordinary guy? Any special training? You're qualified if you spend time with Jesus. Read scripture. Talk to him. Build relationship. Because there's a lost and dying world right outside these doors, and they're counting on you to take what you know is true and to explain it to them in thought and in deed. It's okay if you're nervous. It's okay if you don't want to do it. It's out of your comfort zone. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bubble up within you the way he did in Peter. Because you know what? Peter put his pants on one leg at a time, just like each one of us. He's just a normal guy. He was a fisherman, not a polished human being. And he did great things, potentially the greatest preacher of all time. Because he he surrendered to the call in his life, he followed Jesus, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to work through him. And each one of us can do that. It's a simple choice. Think about that. Average guy, no special training. Spend time with Jesus, and you'll blow people's minds. They'll literally be astonished when they see how you live your life. I'm not asking you to get up here and preach a sermon. I'm not even asking you to to shove Scripture down someone's throat. They don't like that. Look, I'm a big fat guy. I love ice cream. If you shove it down my throat, I spit it out. That's not what I'm saying. These crazy people that get on corners and start chastising people and tell them they're abomination, that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus literally was moved by compassion to outflow his love, and he loved people in. He never had a harsh word for a sinner. It was the religious muckety-mucks that he had a hard time with. But the sinners he loved on, the down and outers he loved on. And you understand that's what we do at Youth for Christ? So many people think we're just a, a normal youth group, which there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not who we are. Everyone's welcome. But you understand that we are a frontline, in the trenches, evangelistic ministry, and we target 11 to 19 year olds. And like I said, everyone's welcome, but we really go after the most disadvantaged and high risk youth. But we welcome in church kids like this young lady so we can train her up because we have individualized training for kids that are more mature in their walk because we really want to give them the tools to be a light on their campus. That's how it works. We work together in this. We're one body. 30 million people every year are counting on us. And I know when you look around, you think, oh, man, we're just a teeny tiny church. Guess what? Jesus changed the world with a 12 and a half, or 11 and a half. Judas did his thing. But, but Jesus changed the world with 12 guys. What can we do? They didn't have social media. They didn't have internet, TV, radio. Man, we have such an advantage. Such an advantage. 
but we have to read Scripture and apply Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to direct our steps. That's what evangelism is. And I'm assuming, I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming that everyone that attends this church is saved, that you, you've said a prayer or, or, or at one point made a conscious effort or, to acknowledge Christ as your Savior. And that's exciting. But how are you doing with your Lord walk? Every morning when you get up, do you start with the psalm of, Search me, O God, know my heart, and purge any evil in me. And all evil is, is anything contrary in your life that he wants for it. If you start that day and then make a commitment, Lord, I thank you that you're my Savior, and I choose for you to be my Lord, and I will follow you this day. It's a daily commitment. It talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you read through that, it's a perpetual, ongoing filling. It will fill in and bubble up with all out of you. And that's the difference maker. And yes, your life will be better. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about all these people outside these doors that have no idea what they're missing out on. You know, when I was a young person, I was a nasty person. Long hair, red bandana, green army jacket. Had a scowl on my face all the time. Put more drugs and alcohol in my system than any hundred people needed. And you know what changed my life? A stranger loved on me when there was nothing lovable about me. And my mom will tell you, there was absolutely not a lovable cell in my body. And he never shared a scripture with me. He just loved me. He started by asking me questions and literally caring about what the answers were. Changed my life forever. Can you do that? Can you have compassion enough to ask someone how their day is and actually care? You know, this little, oh, hey, how you doing? We don't even wait for the answer. Or in church, hey, praying for your brother. No, you're not. Can we give people five, ten seconds of our time? Can you let somebody know that Jesus truly is crazy in love with them? Can you invite someone to church? You guys have stacks and stacks and stacks. Hold on a second. Of these incredible door hangers. I think you got like 1,500 of them. You guys got houses and apartments all around here. This in itself can be a ministry. Now, you could just run up and hang it on the door, and if you do that, that's fine. They read it, and maybe someone will come. But the church that I used to go to in California that used started off with, I don't know, 20, 25 people in Bayless's uh, mom's garage having a meeting is now a megachurch in Southern California, and they lead thousands and thousands of people to the Lord every year. And the way we did it when I was there, because we did nine large outreaches every month, nine, what we would do is we would take stuff like this or an invite card, and the week before we would do something in the park, we'd go door to door, we'd knock on the door. If they answered, say, hey, we just want to invite you to 
a free barbecue. In this case, hey, we just want to invite you to come by and let us love on you at our church. Come check it out. By the way, is there anything I could pray for you for? Right? That in itself is a ministry. And actually, if you really want a better success rate, because if you say, is there anything I could pray for you, then no is, a, is an option. And as a good salesman, what you do is say, if there was one specific thing I could pray for you about, what would that be? And then pray for him. You know what? Everybody needs peace, wisdom, and joy. You could just a blessing. But I'll tell you what. It's amazing to me how many people have health issues or have wayward children or grandchildren. We do it all the time, Youth for Christ. We have people, even at our peach stand. We led two people to the Lord at the peach stand this year, and we had people weeping because we took the time not to just sell them peaches, but to pray for them. And it's our biggest fundraiser of the year, but I'm like, look, we're evangelists. Thousands of people come to us. Let's love on them. We turn it into ministry. That's all it is. You could go door to door. And you know what? If you don't have the courage yet, you could slip it on the door. They still get it, but it's that personal contact. Look in someone's eyes and say, hey, I would love to see you on Sunday. If you, if you show up, look for me because I want to greet you. You could sit with me. Do you know that the average visitor of a church makes up their mind if they're going to come again before the pastor ever speaks? It's about the greeters. It's about the church family. Do you just love on each other? Or when a visitor comes in, do you take time to run to them and love on them? Because you know what? That's evangelism. Compassion for the lost. The outflow of your love. So everybody close your eyes real quick. Bow your head, close your eyes. You know, I'm, I'm assuming because you're all in church that, that you all have a relationship with Jesus, but I guess I don't know that. But maybe, maybe you've actually accepted him as Savior, but you've really never asked him in your life as Lord. And you realize through the Holy Spirit pricking your heart that you need to ask him as Lord of your life. If you need that, raise your hand. Well, that's great. We've got all saved and all Jesus-following people. So then let me ask you this. How many of you are willing to come out of your daily comfort zone and share your faith? Raise your hand. Thank you for those hands. I'm going to pray over you. You can just wrap your heart around this prayer. Father God, I just thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you that that you take the word that you've given me and you've dropped it into people's hearts. And that it ignites, it reignites an amazing passion for the things of you. Lord, give each one of us the strength and the courage to walk it out. Through your spirit, let each one of us live lives like Peter and John to where the people in this town are astonished by our boldness. Not because of who we are, but because of who we are through you. What you're doing in our lives, let it affect the people that we cross paths with. Again, Lord, give us the courage to step out of our comfort zone and allow us to bring you glory. And I just thank you for this time in the mighty name of Jesus.
Amen. Wade, thank you very much uh, for